When you were growing up, who did you look up to and imitate? Just think about it for a moment. Who was your hero? My hero was a man named Mike Pedlow. I met Mike when I was 16 years old. I had just become a follower of Jesus like two months before I met Mike. I started going to church for the first time in my entire life, and Mike was the youth pastor, and he quickly became my hero. I'd never met anyone like him. He was a man who loved Jesus like Jesus was a real person. That was brand new to me. And his life was astonishing. He'd he'd get up every morning at 4 a.m. so that he could study the Bible, pray, get to work early so he could spend his evenings with his family. I'd never seen a marriage like his. Every word out of his mouth was encouragement. And though he was one of the busiest people I've ever met, he made time every week to spend with me just to help me grow as a young follower of Jesus. And I loved him for it. And I started trying to imitate his way of life. You know, he got up early to read the Bible, and so I started to get up early to read the Bible, even though previously I hated waking up early and hated reading. You know, he loved his children, so I started looking forward to being a dad. He would go on these, like, prayer retreats in the mountains where we lived in California, and so I thought, I should go on prayer retreats in the mountains. You know, I have no idea. I just started imitating his example. He never complained even when his body was totally torn apart by radiation and chemotherapy and then totally life-altering surgery due to colon cancer. I'm still working on the not complaining part. And I even followed in his footsteps and became a pastor. And as I look at my life now, it's impossible for me to overestimate how much my life has been shaped by imitating this man. Our lives are profoundly shaped by the people that we imitate. And the Apostle Paul, the author of the letter to Philippians that we've been working through over the last few months, knows all too well that our lives are profoundly shaped by those we imitate. That's why he begins our passage this morning with a sort of double command to imitate the right type of people. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians 3.17. He says, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. See, Paul wants his beloved church to imitate the right people because the people you imitate shape the direction of your life. There's really no way around it. Now, who specifically is Paul talking about in Philippians 3.17 that he wants his beloved church to imitate? Well, he really identifies two camps. He says, I want you to imitate me. And, now remember, Paul is not physically present with the Philippians. That's why he's writing a letter. And he says, so I, I want you to imitate me, but I also want you to imitate those who are close enough in your own church for you to get your eyes on those who live with the same lifestyle, the same ambition, the same direction that I have. He's saying, I want you to imitate me and those who live in a like-minded fashion. Now, please understand, Paul's not being arrogant here. He's not telling the Philippians to imitate his perfection. 
He's telling them to imitate his direction. He's saying, I'm not perfect, but my direction is toward Jesus Christ. Follow me, you'll fix your eyes on him. It's not being prideful. So what is this lifestyle that Paul wants the Philippians to keep their eyes on? What is this direction if it's not his perfection? Well, it's probably the direction of Paul's life that he unpacks earlier in Philippians 3, what we looked at last week. Remember, Paul tells them, here's the path of joy, and he describes himself. He says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count all things lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I've suffered the loss of all things and consider them rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may obtain the resurrection from the dead. Paul says, I want you Philippians to imitate those who press on with Jesus as their greatest value and the resurrection their greatest goal. Don't imitate my perfection, imitate my direction toward Jesus Christ. But then how? How does he want them very specifically to imitate those who strain toward the resurrection? Look at the beginning of verse 17. Paul uses one little phrase that says, join in imitating. In Greek, that's just one word. Join in imitating is one word, and it's actually a word used nowhere else in the New Testament, and as far as we can discern, nowhere else in all of ancient Greek literature, which is just a fancy way of saying Paul made the word up is a totally made-up word. Now, interestingly, all over the place in the New Testament, Paul says, imitate, 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 but this is the only time this word join in imitating is ever used. Why? Well, because Paul wants the Philippians to make no mistake that imitating the right type of people is not some individual self-improvement project. It's actually a community endeavor. When he says join in imitating me, he's saying join with one another, unite with one another in helping each other imitate the right people. So Paul's looking at the Philippians and he says to them, I want you to help one another. Imitate the right type of people because the people you imitate will determine the direction of your life. In fact, the big idea, I think, of our passage this morning is help one another imitate people who press on toward Christ. Paul looks at his church and I look at you and I say, help one another imitate people who press on toward Christ because the people you imitate determine the direction of your life. So what kind of characteristics should we be looking for? 
You know, while we're helping one another, City Light, imitate the right type of people, what should we be looking for? What should guide us as we help one another imitate the right type of people? Well, I think if we look closely at verse 17, we'll actually see that the verse gives us a few guiding principles. First of all, well, actually, before we get into those, let me just pause for a moment. Before we get into specific characteristics of what we should be looking for, I actually want us to pause and do a brief little bit of introspection. I want you to just answer this question. Who is determining your life's direction? If the people we imitate are the people who determine our life's direction, just honestly right now, who is determining your life's direction? Whose words, whose actions, whose example are determining your direction in life? Second question, before we get into specifics. Whoever it is that's determining your direction in life, who you're imitating, can you honestly say, that person is pressing on toward Jesus Christ? If the great value of our lives is, as Paul says, counting everything lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, are the people you imitate those who you can honestly say, man, they're not perfect, but their direction in life is toward Christ. Now, as we help one another toward that, what should we be looking for? First, look for multiple examples. Look for multiple examples. Notice that Paul says that he wants the Philippians to join in, he wants them to join in imitating him and a group of people that walk according to the example you have in us. So Paul's not saying, I want you to find that mythical one person, that mythical one friend or teacher or mentor that they can just be everything to you, guide you in all areas of life to fix your eyes on Christ. My friends, no one but Jesus Christ can meet that bar. And so Paul said, no, you, you need a group of people. You need a community that you can fix your eyes on and help you move in the right direction, straining on toward Christ and the resurrection. So like practically for me, I... I look to people who I feel like they live in the shadow of eternity in specific areas of life. People who, in this area, like for example, I, I want to look to people who, okay, with their money, they are straining not toward the American dream, but toward the resurrection in the way they use their money. I want to look at people who, wow, in their marriage, it seems like eternity is really informing the way that they live together. With their, I want to look at people who, in your career, it really seems that your greatest ambition is to make much of Jesus, to serve people well, to strain toward the resurrection, not simply make much of yourself. We're going to need many people to do this. I mean, for, for someone like me, I'll look at, I try to look to folks who maybe, I've told you in the past before, I can struggle deeply with things like, you know, negativity, anxiety, depression type stuff. 
So I want to look to people like, who is straining toward the resurrection in the midst of that? Imitate their example. So first, look for multiple examples, not that mythical one mentor that's going to just change your life. That's Jesus, but he's not just your mentor. He's your Lord and your Savior. Secondly, look for a lifestyle, not a life stage. When we're looking to help one another strain toward the resurrection, look for a lifestyle, not a life stage. Notice what Paul says in verse 17. He says, I want you to imitate those who walk according to the example you have in us. Well, walk is a euphemism for live. Paul is saying, I want you to imitate those who have a particular lifestyle, no matter what life stage they're in. Notice Paul doesn't say, married couples at Philippi, I want you to fix your eyes on other married couples at Philippi who are straining toward the resurrection. Notice he doesn't say, college students, God help us, college students, fix your eyes on other college students who are you know, straining toward, the, I can give them a hard time because they all already went home for the summer. But he doesn't, he doesn't say that. No, what does he say? I want you to imitate a lifestyle regardless of life stage. See, we, at a church like ours, we, we've, we've got to press against this. And when I say a church like ours, I mean a church where the majority, by God's grace, is changing more and more, are in their 20s and 30s. And we think, oh my goodness, I, I have got to be in community either with people who are in my exact life stage or who have gone through my life stages and now I can imitate them. Notice, though that would be nice in some senses, is not Paul's focus. He's saying, whose direction in life is Christ and the resurrection, follow their example no matter their life stage. I'll be honest with you. Uh, Pastor Mark Giacobbe is one of the pastors of our church here at City Light, has probably had more of a profound effect on my life than nearly anyone in the last three years. Mark has never been married, never had children, and never had my job. We are not even close to being in the same life stage. But he is a man who strains toward the resurrection. He's a man whose whole life, I believe, has lived in the shadow of eternity. I want to follow him. I don't care if he has kids or not. I mean, Tim and Laura Roberts, another couple in our church, they, we are not in the same life stage. But they have gone through more suffering than most. And they have this profound joy in the Lord. I want to fix my eyes on them, follow their example. It doesn't matter if we're not in the same life stage. Look for a lifestyle, not a life stage. Look for those who rejoice in the Lord despite their circumstances. Look at those who strain toward the resurrection in all areas of life, even if they don't share your exact area of life. Third, look for those close enough to watch Look for those who are close enough to watch. Notice in verse 17, Paul says, keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. So first he says, imitate me, but Paul's not all that close to them geographically. They can't watch how he reacts in all situations of life. So he then says, so keep your eyes on those who are geographically close enough, in this case, in your own church, 
that you can fix your eyes on and imitate. You know, biographies and documentaries are helpful, but they're no substitute for following the example of real life. And the reason is they're almost always unrealistic. Like I, I like to read some biographies of like old dead pastors, but it can be like the most discouraging thing ever. It's like they got up at 3.30 a.m. because they could function on four hours of sleep and then they'd pray for five hours and then they never got frustrated with their wives. I mean, I, it's like I sleep four hours. I hate everything. You know, it's like, so you read this and you go, ah. And the reason it's not all that helpful is the biographers are lying. It's just not true. It's not realistic. You know, that's Charles Spurgeon, not Jesus Christ. It's not going to go that well. And so Paul says, no, no, no. Get close to real people. Make the sacrifices of time and even money necessary, sacrifices even of career, so that you can spend time with one another, so that your covenant community can become your primary community, so that you can be close enough to one another to see how one another live in the normal warp and woof of life. You know, it's like with my city group, it's like I want to be close enough to you to see how you react when your kids go bananas at my house. Because I can learn from you. You're a real person. I want to see how you strain on toward Jesus when someone disagrees with you, when someone corrects you. We have to be so close to one another because it's those that we imitate that shape the direction of our lives. And then fourthly, and this is somewhat unrelated to the other three, is I think an implication of verse 17 is that we need to be the kind of people who can be imitated. Strive to be someone who can be imitated. Now, don't worry. Remember, no one's imitating your perfection. They're imitating your direction. So to be the kind of person who can be imitated means not that you're perfect. It means that you're straining on toward Christ. It means that when you sin, you sin boldly. People know about it, you repent of your sin, you ask for forgiveness, you're going in a new direction. It doesn't mean that you're perfect. It means Jesus is my greatest value and on the days when he's not, I'm pleading with him, change me and I'm transparent with others. It means my direction is, I want to strain on toward the resurrection even if today the American dream really looks so much more appetizing. Be the kind of person who repents of sin and trusts in Jesus again and again and again because when you're fixing your eyes on Christ, then people can look at you and go, I guess if I'm going to imitate them, I ought to put my eyes on Jesus too. That's good enough to follow. And so Paul says, keep your eyes on, imitate those who press on toward Christ. Help one another. Imitate people who press on toward Christ because the people you imitate determine the direction of your life. Now, why is this so urgent? Why is it so urgent that Paul's got to use sort of this like double command? Why is it so critical? Why is he pleading essentially with the Philippians to follow the right kind of people? Well, in the rest of our passage, Paul provides really two reasons why it's so urgent that we follow the right type of people. 
why we imitate the right type of people. The first reason we see in verses 18 and 19, the first reason that we follow the right people is because worldly examples lead to eternal destruction. Worldly examples lead to eternal destruction. If you think I'm just like kind of being a little harsh or overly hyper because I've got a stage today, look at verses 18 and 19. It says, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. The reason it is so urgent that we imitate those who are pressing on toward Christ is because alternative examples are everywhere. And if you follow their path, you will arrive at their destination. Destruction. So who were these alternative examples that the Philippians were tempted to follow? To be totally honest with you, I don't know. There's been a lot, there's basically a mountain of scholarly debate over this one phrase, their God is their belly. Who were these alternative examples that the Philippians were tempted to look at and go, ah, I think I will follow them instead of Paul and those who strain on toward Christ? Uh, In one scholarly camp are people who think their God is their belly is referring to a group called Judaizers, people who taught the Philippians that if you want to become a Christian, you have to become Jewish. People who said that if you want to have a right standing before God, you need to believe in Jesus and obey the Old Testament ceremonial laws, especially circumcision. And so Paul says their God is their belly, meaning that they're obsessed with Old Testament food laws. So they don't really worship Jesus, they worship food laws. That's one camp. I I agree with that camp, but who knows? Then there's another camp who thinks that, no, it's not Judaizers, it's libertines. It's those who are teaching the Philippians, since you are justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, it really doesn't matter how you live. You can do whatever you want with your sexuality because Jesus saved you by grace. You don't need to follow him with that. You can do whatever you want with food. You can eat food sacrificed to idols. You can be a glutton. You can be a drunkard. It doesn't matter. I don't know which camp is the right one, but here's what I do know. What both camps have in common is worldliness. Paul is saying, I want you to imitate the right people Because there are worldly people everywhere tempting you. People who Paul describes as having their minds set on earthly things. Here's what we know about the alternative examples. They were basically those who said, you can have Jesus as Savior without following him as Lord. It's actually the great American Christian heresy. You can have Jesus forgive you of all your sin eternal life assured, doesn't matter if you follow him, it doesn't even matter if you like him, if you prayed this exact prayer, you're fine forever. You can have Jesus as your savior, say I'm a new creation but not live new in any way. How is this example tempting you? How are you tempted to follow those who say, 
You can have Jesus as Savior, your career as Lord, and be fine. You can have Jesus as Savior and your sexuality as Lord. It's all good. You can have Jesus as Savior and Lord and you better add a bit of what you can do for your right standing before God. Paul says, now press on in imitating those who press on toward Christ because the alternative examples are everywhere and they will lead you to eternal destruction. But then there's a second reason. Paul says, I want you to help one another imitate those who are pressing on toward Christ because we now belong to a heavenly kingdom. We now belong to a heavenly kingdom. The reason Paul is so urgent in telling them don't follow worldly examples is because they now belong to a heavenly kingdom. Listen to how Paul puts it in verses 20 and 21. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we wait, await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus lived the life we should have lived, died the death we deserve to die, and was resurrected from the grave in order to transfer us from the kingdom of darkness to this heavenly kingdom. Let me, let me just read to you from Paul's letter to the Ephesians about how we actually move from the kingdom of darkness and become citizens of this heavenly kingdom. Paul says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once I apologize for that, by the way. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That is the kingdom we were born into and left to ourselves a kingdom that we love. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Paul's saying it's by grace that you have been transferred from the kingdom of the darkness to this heavenly kingdom and King Jesus now reigns over you and so you no longer live under worldly values or for worldly ambitions so it makes no sense for you to have worldly examples. He's saying you no longer live under the cynicism of this kingdom. Instead, we live under the banner of hope. 
We belong to Jesus and he will one day return, bringing salvation by his blood. We will be saved from the wrath of God on the day of judgment. And when we see him in the twinkling of an eye, we will be transformed. Everything that we hoped for by faith in this life will be transformed and we will have it by sight. Jesus will transform our lowly bodies, everything in us that is weak, tempted by sin, that loves sin and hates godliness, that'll be gone. And we will be fit with new resurrection bodies that are perfect for eternity. And Paul's saying, that's the kingdom that you're part of now. That's the king that reigns over you now. That's the hope that you await now. What are you going to do? Follow worldly examples? Now, we should be like Paul. Notice Paul's demeanor toward enemies of the cross. He wept for them. We should be those who weep for anyone who walks as an enemy of the cross, prays for anyone who walks as an enemy of the cross, pleads with anyone who walks as an enemy of the cross, but for Jesus' sake, may we never imitate those who walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. And so Paul says, brothers, sisters, help one another. Imitate those who press on toward Jesus Christ because those we imitate shape the direction of our lives. Now as we close, there's only one final thing I think we have to know about those we imitate. They are only shadows. We imitate them only because they show us where to truly look for life, grace, peace, forgiveness, and eternal hope. You see, every earthly example we could ever look to that helps us press on toward Christ, they'll fail us. Mike Pedlow was amazing, not a perfect man. But he pointed me toward the perfect Christ, the one who is both the perfect example and the Savior and Lord over the universe, the one who lived the life we should have lived, the only life we can ultimately imitate, a perfectly righteous life, the life we have all failed to live. He lived it on our behalf. Then he went to the cross and he died the death we deserve in our place for our sins. And then he rose from the grave promising us that upon his return we would be saved from judgment and receive everlasting bodies. Let's ultimately be a people who help one another fix our eyes on Jesus Christ. The example par excellence, the Lord and the Savior. And so in the rest of our service, that's what we'll do. We're going to, as a community, help one another fix our eyes on Jesus Christ. But as we do, keep that question in mind. Who is determining the direction of your life? With that in mind, let's help one another fix our eyes on Jesus. We do that in several ways through the rest of our service. First is by partaking in communion. 
As we come to the table's front and back any time during the next three songs, if you're a follower of Jesus, you can come and tear off a piece of bread. It's a symbol of Jesus' body that was broken for you. You can dip it in the cup, a symbol of his blood that was shed for you. Take it, eat it, and remember the Lord Jesus Christ is death and resurrection until he comes again to resurrect us. You can also pray. You can respond through prayer right where you are. You can kneel, sit, stand, and go to the back. And you can be prayed for with folks who would be happy to pray with you about anything. Maybe there are just areas of your life where you realize, I have been following only worldly examples. I am the worldly example. And you want to say, Jesus, would you save me from that? Would you forgive me and set me on a new path? You can do that right where you are. Folks in the back would love to pray for you. And of course, we'll respond with songs of worship. Because it's in worshiping Jesus that we fix our eyes on him again. It's in praise and songs of acclamation that we actually remember again what life is all about. That life is not a celebration of us, but of God and his glory. And so we remember that as we sing his praises. So let's be a people that help one another press on toward the Lord Jesus Christ and the resurrection that is promised to us. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are the true and ultimate example, the Savior and the Lord. You are the eternal Son of God who took on flesh and dwelt among us. You are obedient to the Father to the point of death on a cross for us and he highly exalted you and one day you will return and you will resurrect us forever. Lord, help us to be a people now who help one another. Imitate those who press on toward you. Help us ultimately to fix our eyes on you, the author and perfecter of our faith until you come again. In your name we pray, amen.